1: do I seem a little less organized today than usual? I don't know what it is, but I somehow or other had a little trouble pulling myself together for this show. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be a great episode of The Nose. Of course it will be. So in the second part of The Nose, we're going to talk about with our panelists about what it would take to get them back into the movie theaters. Or in the case of one panelist, what it did take to get her back in the movie theaters you're going to be surprised by who this is if you're a regular listener to The Nose. Uh, We'll also talk about a guy, a young guy, high school guy, whose birthday party kind of got out of control, which is not, you know, I mean, that happens. (laughs) I went to high school. I remember that. But not like this. I mean, like... Like, well, anyway, we'll explain it all to you. Uh, But we're going to begin with Hacks. Uh, Hacks is a series on HBO. It stars the currently incomparable Gene Smart, uh, who is just. You know, kind of quietly came roaring back. Can you roar quietly? She came roaring back over the last few years in Fargo and Legion and Watchmen. Uh, now she's simultaneously rocking HBO Max with Mayor of Easttown, uh, and where she plays the mother of Kate Winslet. Uh, and this series, Hacks, where she plays a kind of a comedy diva in Vegas. I think it's pretty explicitly Joan Rivers, although I'm I'm, I'm prepared to be contradicted about this, um, who pairs up with a, a young – who is forcibly paired up with a young comedy writer. And before we even – actually, we'll play the clip and then we'll introduce the panelists. We don't usually do it that way, but why not? So uh, let's hear the meeting between between Deborah Vance, the aging comic played by Gene Smart, uh, and Ava, the young – Currently semi-canceled, maybe fully canceled comedy writer, uh, played by Hannah Einbinder.
0: I would have to say that your TV show is my personal favorite thing that you've ever done. You mean my sitcom from 1973? You've seen it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, I've seen um, clips. Clips. Wonderful. Um, yeah, well, um, you know, a lot of the actors on the show that I most recently worked on were stand-ups. You know, I'm going to stop you right there. I don't work with writers. You don't? No, Jimmy sent you against my wishes. (sighs) I'm going to kill him. No, I'm going to kill him. Great. Well, this sucks. Yeah, sucks. Oh, but at least you didn't waste too much time researching me. I'm sorry. Did I, did I do something to offend you? Other than walk those chimney sweep boots on my silk rug, uh, no. Sorry, I, I didn't realize it was a shoes-off situation. Well, it's shoe dependent.
1: All right. So uh, that's a little bit of the kind of banter that uh, turns into very much the one of the engines that drives the show. Now, let me tell you who's on the show on this show today. Uh, Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, dancer, founder, director and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. Uh, Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. Uh, and oh, I am thrilled to have both of them on today. Uh, just another couple of little scene-setting things about hacks. The show is written and created by Lucia Agnello, Paul Downs, and Jen Statsky. They all worked on Broad City. Statsky worked on Parks and Recreation and The Good Place, and in fact, uh, West Hartford native Mike Schur, uh, who is the the genius behind The Good Place, and I, th- I think I don't know if he's showrunner or whatever, on Parks and Recreation, is listed as a producer. It kind of has the feel of a Sure product in a lot of ways, at least to me. So, um, Carolyn, I think you were the you know the first person to suggest that we should be doing this, uh, that we should be uh, talking about this. There's six episodes out right now. HBO uh, dropped two of them, I think, uh, yesterday or last night. Um, what grabbed you about this?
2: Uh, honestly, Gene Smart. Um, <laughs> I saw like a trailer for it, and uh, I, I kind of think she is just phenomenal and has flown under the radar for so long and uh, I, I just felt like this couldn't miss. Uh, I, I was really excited about it as soon as I saw the trailer and watched the first episodes as soon as they came out. And, um, it, I, I, it, it's just so, uh, brilliant for her. She, she just, you can't take your eyes off her when you're watching this show. She is so like nuanced and has created, I agree that it is a very like Joan Rivers. I also see a little bit of a Debbie Reynolds in her with this. Uh, and I, I I just I mean, obviously, as somebody who works in comedy and has done writing for other people, uh, this I I was struck by this kind of on a personal level, too, but um, it really didn't disappoint.
1: Right. So there's so many things going on here, and I want to go through a whole bunch of them. Um, I, I, and I mean, just right away, there's sort of issues about women, being a woman, aging, uh, being a woman in a, in a marketplace that doesn't always accommodate women. Uh, there's a lot about Vegas itself. There's a lot about cancel culture, uh, which we'll get to because, in fact, uh, the Hannah Binder character, Ava, has been kind of canceled. But, Irene, I think— the thing that leaps out to me at first, anyway, is that it's just a very smart take on some generational friction. You've got this uh, this older uh, uh, comedy star who's maybe losing a little bit of her luster, but, you know, is sort of obviously has this incredible work ethic. That's combined with this incredible self-destructive streak, uh, but works, works really, really hard, uh, takes the business very, very seriously. And then a young person who I think without being caricatured is a little bit from a a place where she sort of thinks things are going to come her way uh, and that um, the, the kind the world should kind of bow to her and her tastes. Uh, as opposed to her figuring out what the world wants, and I don't know, I don't, you know, you teach young people. Um, I just got through teaching some young people. I don't know. This really worked for me on that level, but I'd love to know how you reacted.
0: Um, yeah, the young people who think that things should come their way. Um, <clears throat> I think that's an interesting that, that that's an interesting way into it. Um, I think it it played with the stereotypes of that too. You know, uh, that. It wasn't, you know, the young person who thinks that the old person uh, doesn't really get it, doesn't really understand, doesn't isn't really with the times, doesn't really know what's going on. There's some of that, but it's played with in an interesting way, which I personally appreciated, you know, because I always feel I'm always struck by how um, sometimes students see me as just from a, a different world that has nothing to do with them and that, that they can't possibly understand. And there's some of that in the show. Absolutely. You know, that there's like the miscommunication between the two worlds. And there's a couple of moments when Gene Smart just says, oh, never mind." When, when um, the other Ava tries to explain to her what's going on, but the, the, yeah. So, so there's certainly a clash between those two sensibilities and it's, You know, uh, you know, of course, I'm I'm identifying with the older person, but it's interesting to think it's I think it's it's, as you say, a smart take because it's not it's not predictable. We can't predict at the beginning where where it's going to go. And I really love that about it, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I said in the emails, um, Carolyn, this could have been a pretty static generational getting on each other's nerves kind of story. You don't get me. I don't get you. Um, I think they've done a lot more with that. Partly because they're both right and they're both wrong, and, but they're both because it's a comedy, spectacularly wrong a lot of the time in terms of how they approach things. You know, and they, and they violate their own premises. But just to sort of give an example, I mean, one of the episodes that dropped yesterday, Ava, uh, the young writer, wants to write or is offering up a joke about diva cups. Uh, the Jean Smart character, Deborah, doesn't know what that is. By the way, I didn't know what it was either. Um, and then says her audience wouldn't know what it is, uh, and so that's sort of at the static level of the joke, except that Deborah hits Ava with a diva cup joke at the end of the episode, you know, and to me, that's what sort of lifts this up above, you know, there's a way in which they fire the cannons at each other, but then they grab each other's cannons and and fire those at each other.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, that they don't know, they don't know each other. And instead of just playing the comedy off of that and the friction between them, there's also this great nuanced level where they don't even know themselves or they're struggling to come to terms with who they are. So you, you really get this deeper side to the show that leads to some, you you know, I, I think like comedy a show like this, where it has these darker elements and uh, these characters who are so layered and complex, and uh, you know you can hate them and love them all at the same time, I think is really, uh, I think it's really well done in that respect. So that they're kind of on these these journeys it, that are so separate because of their generation gap, but in a lot of ways they're in the same place. So it is interesting. It levels the playing field. And I think that they are great together. They are, they're, they really, um, it almost sounds funny to call this like a buddy comedy, but that's like kind of what I would categorize it as in some ways.
1: Yeah. I you know, th- yeah. Very much. Yeah. yeah. What were you saying, Irene?
0: I was just going to say that even though they're different too, they recognize and appreciate something in each other, you know, the sort of mean, snarky edge that they share and they love to have that banter back and forth you know it was interesting to hear the scene that you played in the beginning because when I saw it in the be- heard it and saw it saw it in the beginning I wasn't as taken by it as I was now listening to it after having seen six episodes because you realize it's it's setting up the the way that they that they the similarities between them that that sort of under overlay the differences, the the very stark many differences between them. There's something they recognize and appreciate that, I, and I love that too.
1: Yeah, no, the, obviously the the fr- the back and forth between them, the friction between them is, is terrific. But you know, I'm also impressed by the degree to which the and, and uh, Hannah Einbinder, as far as I know, is kind of a, a newcomer. I mean, I, I don't, I haven't seen her in anything. and I'm not really, I don't really associate her with anything else. You know,
0: she's Lorraine Newman's daughter.
1: Is she? Boy, I didn't I,
0: know that until I poked around last night, yes.
1: I can really see that actually, Mm -hmm. that's sort of there. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, she has to play this rather complicated character. Oh, I know what I wanted to say to you, Carolyn, Um, which is, you know, one of the struggles— you wouldn't think it would be that big a struggle— whenever you make a show that's about comedy, in other words, a show that's set in the world of comedy, there's two things you have to do that often creators struggle to do. Make the comedy work when it's supposed to work and also have people who can deliver the comedy well. Now, the most egregious example of this not working— Jonathan McNichol knows what I'm about to say right now, is... I don't even remember, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. I don't even know what it was called. But anyway, it was this Aaron Sorkin thing that was supposed to be kind of set in Saturday Night Live. And it starred Sarah Paulson, who's a lot of things, but she's not a super funny person. But she's supposed to be this, like, really super funny person. And then Sorkin would write this material that was supposed to be, you know, when they finally come up with a home run for the show. And it just wasn't funny, you know. And, And, Carolyn, one of the things that I appreciate is that when Deborah Vance gets up and she's killing it, uh, on stage in Vegas, you know. First of all, Jean Smart's a pretty good stand-up comedian; she hits it pretty well, and the the comedy is is often very good. You know, I mean the 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 one-liners that that Deborah delivers are pretty funny.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, Jean Smart is really. I saw this great article where they call it the Smarteissance, is what we're experiencing mm-hmm. right? Now. The Jean Renaissance, sure. and I love that because. Uh, I mean, I kind of had seen like designing women, uh, you know, sort of in like reruns and it kind of had like a, it got like popular as it started streaming, you know, people my age were watching it and discovering it. So, and Jean Smart, like I've seen her in things over, over the years, uh, as I've mentioned on the nose before I rewatched Frazier or kind of watched Frazier for the first time. And she has a great recurring character on that. And the thing that strikes me about Jean Smart and that has really struck me at, at, with her and has made me want to watch more and more of her is her delivery for everything is always so spot on. She really can just nail those one-liners. And she has such a great voice too that has this like booming quality uh, that just hits this like kind of almost grating uh, pitch that is so brilliant. And she uses that that voice here in in such a great way uh I mean it, when you watch the show in the first 5 minutes the scene of her doing stand up in her like sparkly pantsuit suit with <laughs> feathers involved I mean it's Vegas so absolutely there were feathers but I mean e- and you just see her there on the stage in the light and you just buy into this yeah she's a comedy legend this is who she is uh and I looked up and Jean Smart actually never really did stand up mm-hmm. she was interested in it and wanted to do it but never uh got into that and uh but she plays it so well i mean she really you you just believe her to be this this character and stand up is hard to fake
1: yeah no it is hard to fake and i you know another person i 'm kind of reminded about, but I think it 's because i had so I had this student uh, in my political science class who he was uh, just a terrific guy, and I really just just you know was very very fond of him and he grew up in a household where he, i think his mother and maybe his aunt or i don 't know various female family members would watch the view and he would watch with them so we wound up having a lot of sort of non-class discussions via email about Joy Behar um, and and you know I worked with Joy Behar on twice once, like over a once just on a one shot thing that was really kind of ill conceived. Uh, and then this really ill conceived late night pilot where we were just sort of making some pilots. Uh, and I don't know, she and I were on together two or three times. And one of the things that I said about Joy Behar at the end is I didn't really think she was all that funny, but she was really disciplined. She showed up prepared. She took things seriously. If you sent her a bunch of clips to read, she'd read all the clips. And, and, you know, Irene that one of the things that I think is really noticeable about the Deborah Vance character that's worth taking seriously is that she takes her job very seriously. Yes, she goes out and does things that are sometimes not admirable, including blackmail a club, like really blackmail a club owner. Uh, you know, but she, she there's a sense, and it was very true of Joan Rivers, you know, that everything mattered, everything counted, and I think because you're a woman in this business. You know, we see at one point Jean Smart's character gets a shot at a late night TV show, which is exactly what happened with Joan Rivers, you know, but it can't quite work because the bar is just way higher for women. So you work harder. You don't take any chances. You take nothing for granted. I I liked that quality that came across.
0: I love that. And she also doesn't show it. She she you know, she keeps it to herself. She keeps the strategizing in some ways, like, for example, the blackmail thing to herself that you know she pretends to be one thing on the outside but really she's calculating um, and planning and structuring everything on the inside, which I think is really interesting. And I also want to say while we're talking about her, is that I wasn't really familiar with Jean Smart, um, Carolyn, before this. Except in when I and so when I was watching *Mayor of Easttown*, I was thinking, who is this woman? She's so funny. You know, she's sitting there, uh, you know, the grandmother, the great grandmother, on the ratty couch with her cardigan on, you know, looking really frumpy. And her daughter's boyfriend comes in, and she instantly starts. Flirting with him in such a hilarious—you know—it's not a comedy show by any means. It's the opposite, but she was just this spark of, you know, you just saw the, you you just saw the capacity for comedy in her in a way that I that I absolutely loved. And I was thinking, who is this woman? And so now this show, ha- like that, was a perfect prelude to watching the show hacks because you get to see the, you know, the little germ that she demonstrated on that show. Completely come to life and come into flowering with her outfits and her glamour and and everything about her. So yeah, she's she's. I agree with you, Carolyn.
1: So you know, one thing I wanted to talk a little bit too about this show does. It's like the third time in eight days that we've talked about cancel culture on this show. But this this show it, it is. There's a lot about that in there. So this uh, young writer Ava has essentially been canceled. She drops out of college after two years because she can get this really good comedy writing gig. She buys real estate because <laughs> she's doing so well, uh, and then she gets canceled. And it's I, I don't really think they sell the thing that she gets canceled over very well. But th- there's there's a a sense in which it's easy come, easy go, right? That you know you can be this kind of talented, sharp, um, funny, you know, twenty something or twenty year old maybe, who's really kind of got her finger on the pulse well enough to kind of figure out jokes that young people would really like, that would really maybe work in a TV setting that had a you know very youth oriented demographic, and that, that that as easy as that came, it can be snatched away because you made one mistake. And and I I do I like anyway the fact that they get the kind of unforgivingness. Of that you know, and there's a point where she meets some of her former colleagues uh, this is same in the same episode uh, one of the episodes that dropped last night, uh, also young women who haven't been cancelled, and one of them is doing extremely well about to direct, direct a Marvel movie and, and there's this kind of sense of how I don't know how binary that world is, how how vicious it can be and how vicious the disparities can be as you know much is given but much is also taken away.
0: And your friends who want to succeed are not going to, are going to leave you behind if, when you get canceled because, because they're concerned with their careers, you know, that side of it. I also love the, the psychology, psychological part about what it triggered about her from high school, you know, which always happens with that kind of thing. And that sort of makes it mushroom her sense of alienation.
1: Yeah. Caroline, I was wondering, I, well, we should say, actually, I know how to direct this perfectly to Caroline. The, one of the ways that these two characters who don't have a lot in common, but they have funny in common. And one of the ways they click is when is when Eva first explains to Deborah how she got canceled and what she got canceled for. What they do is they sit there and they work on the joke. They work on the joke that was the, that was the joke tweet that, you know, that, you, that she got canceled for. And at the end of it, I think what they have is he's been in the closet so long he poops mothballs, uh, although they don't say poops, you know. And so that's Deborah's reaction is, oh, that just wasn't funny enough. Let's make it funnier. It's interesting how they bond around that because comedy sometimes is the place where you can take something that's a little bit risky. And if you can make it funny enough, you don't get canceled.
2: Yeah, I I think that um, that's exactly what comedy is, is pushing that envelope beyond, uh, you know, challenging, challenging boundaries and pushing it. And if you I thought that that was like brilliant, that this tweet that she gets canceled over is not even good, Mm -hmm. you know, and that they're just trying that. It is looking at how could this have not happened, although in some ways I would have found her character even more interesting. I I sort of was disappointed when I found out what she got canceled over with. But it also kind of, I think, is a great way of uh, poking fun at this cancel culture that we live in, where everything is just getting canceled for the stupidest reasons. Um,
1: But you still have to. I mean, like, okay. weirdly enough, I woke up this morning with a joke in my head and and I thought I'm going to tweet it. And then I thought, I, and I look, I wrote it into the tweet field and I looked at it and I thought, am I going to get in trouble for this? Am I going to, you know, and then I finally clicked, clicked tweet. But I, I wouldn't have done that a few years ago. I mean, then the joke was, I, I, it's not a great joke. I said, why is it that every time I'm in an expensive restaurant and I order a really fancy bottle of wine, the person who brings it is inevitably from Somalia? Um and you know, if you do that on Facebook, by the way, people will jump on and go, "Oh no, you're com- you're mixing that up with some LEA. Those are two different things." Uh, but I thought, like, is somebody could get mad at me about this, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and I, I that is where we are living right now. Whether you're 25 years old or 65 years old, I mean, there is that kind of sense that you can you can wrong foot something, uh, and you know, it could be awful. Um,
2: yeah, it could also be like great. It could also no. be the thing that kind of gets you attention. Like sometimes I wish I would, sometimes I'm like, oh, I should have just said it. I should have just tweeted that and just walked away from it. Or, uh, uh, you know, I, I definitely have, uh, I, I think that I get like, I don't know, there's not like a really, I was going to say FOMO, but that's not FOMO because I don't know what it's called. There's you, no- th-
1: You should have yolo instead of FOMO'd. Yeah,
2: yeah I guess so. <laughs> um, but the, the cancel culture uh, is- is fascinating to me right now. And I am a big fan, as you know, of Real Housewives of New York and the new season started and it's like two episodes in and they had to explain cancel culture to Ramona Singer, uh, which if you watch Real Housewives of New York, Ramona Singer is basically, like she should be canceled. I don't even know why we are allowing somebody like Ramona Singer to continue (laughs) to exist and why I allow her to continue to exist by watching this show. But they had to explain cancel culture to a woman who like, literally has lied on national television and in media about donating her blood plasma uh, (laughs) following having COVID. If anything should get you canceled, it should be that. And instead, she's, like, on this, you know, reality show having cancel culture explained to her because she is just a totally out-of-touch 60-year-old woman whose face doesn't move due to plastic surgery. And I was thinking about the irony of cancel culture with that and how some people can't just... you know some people get victim of become victims of it and others just somehow float above it and maybe it's just the ability to not care you know, and when you yeah
1: go, the, ahead. go ahead yeah
2: oh well when you think of it in the context of this show uh you know you have deborah the deborah vance character who has who definitely just does not care at all and it has like kind of soared her above this cancel culture until now where like this whole show is about her trying to fight back from being canceled so it's an interesting uh it's an interesting mix of things
1: you know, I, I think it was. I was paying extra attention to this uh, because I knew we were just about to talk about it. But watching that uh, episode five, actually, um, Irene, I was also noticing, and I kind of went back and thought about it too. As a, for a comedy series, this this has kind of high production values. It's often very interestingly shot. Episode five opens with Gene Smart telling the same joke in four different outfits, and they kind of layer those next to one another, and then kind of merge them all together, you know, and digitally and. and and it's it's quite effective, too. And it kind of makes a very interesting point about what it's like to be a stand up and say the same joke every night. And and they they use Vegas, you know, as a real interesting kind of mise en scene, too. There's this sort of sense of uh, of let's let's take this place and, and show it to you and, and really kind of use it, I think, more effectively than I associate with a so-called sitcom.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I. That was one of the things I really loved about watching it is seeing, first of all, I love Las Vegas. I've only been there a few times but I just love it, both for the strip and the energy and and, and the casino energy and all that, but also for the landscape outside of it. And I love that they take us, they took us out there too, into the desert, you mm. know, it's and then you realize, wow, we're really in the desert here you know las vegas and then in contrast to the strip and the lushness of her house and the jokes about the water and all that you know it's just it is beautiful and i love that scene that you mentioned yeah um when they all all of her blur into one it is kind of like a champion of what championing of what she's doing um yeah so let's see i i yeah Las Vegas, it kind of has to be in Las Vegas in a way. It it does. That's really where it's so not, that's what I, you know, it's not, that's what I was thinking about Joan Rivers, you know, it is, she does seem really similar to Joan Rivers, but it's, she's, she doesn't seem at all like a New Yorker in any way, you know, she seemed, you know, like, like an East Coast person, she seems more like a, like a West Coast desert Person, and well, but, right uh, person, but but everybody
1: will... everybody shows up in Vegas. Everybody moves to Vegas from everywhere. I mean, I, I was we have to take a break here. I was telling my fellow panelists before the show. I was wooed for and offered a dream job in Vegas. And But it was like, you know, it would be like moving to Mars. I mean, it has no relationship to the outside world. <laughs> it's just it was such a strange place. Uh, but but they get some of that. And I think they get it really well. All right. We really have to stop. So we'll have time Interesting to, talk about to
0: imagine show. Colin in Las Vegas. Though. Yeah, that, I think I would have like we could leave the audience with that.
1: I was going to have my own daily television show in Vegas. Anyway, uh, we have to take a break. We'll come back. All right. We are back. Our panelists today are Carolyn Payne and Irene Papoulis. So one of the things that we challenge, we were all challenged by, particularly here at The Nose, where we talk about culture a lot is going back to entertainment venues, whether it's the Hartford Stage Company or Theater Works or Longworth Theater or something like that, or just going to see a concert, an indoor concert somewhere, or going back to the movies. Uh, I haven't been back to the movie theaters yet. It's going to probably be a little extra time for me because I have some uh, people with delicate immune systems uh, in my life right now. Uh, But one of our panelists has already been back to the movies as of last night, and here is what it took to get her there. From the very beginning, I realized I saw the world differently than everyone else.
0: That didn't sit well with some people. But I wasn't for everyone. I guess they were always scared that I'd be a psycho.
1: <laughs> sorry now. But a new day... New
0: opportunities. And I was
1: ready to so that's, it. of course, well, I don't know about it, of course, <laughs> that's the the villain biopic Cruella and the person who went back to the movie theaters. And we have a little bit of family dynamics here on the nose that we have to deal with. We'll share with you. I mean, there's nobody who complains more about going to the movies uh, and us making her go-to movie theaters where other people are there than Carolyn Payne. So there's a strange paradox here that you're going back to the movies sooner than most of us. I mean, there are other nose panelists like James Hanley. I'm, I'm sure James has been back to the movies for a long time. He, You know, he founded a movie theater. But w- what are you doing back seeing Cruella?
2: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, these are weird times, and it's making me do weird things. Um I I mean, so I hate the movies. I hate going to the movies because uh, I've listed so many reasons. Yeah, I hate being around a ton of other people. I get anxiety because I always end up having to go to the bathroom and then miss the coolest part of the movie, inevitably. Um, You know, a lot of movies, especially things I have to see from the nose, uh, end up sucking horribly, and I'm mad about it.
1: Unlike Cruella. (laughs) So
2: Cruella, so here's the... I didn't necessarily want to see Cruel. I mean, I thought it would look cool, but uh my roommate Alex is uh very into fashion and he wanted to see this and I was like, "Oh, we can just you could buy it on Disney Plus, you know?" And he's like, "No, we're going to go to the movies." And you know, we spent the last like year year and a half of our lives almost like just not being able to do anything. So, everything just feels like a real treat. And uh I, I guess I was really lured there by some really like gross buttery popcorn. To be honest, like that was the thing that like felt so good last night to just be shoveling popcorn into my face. And also, it is kind of a nice time to go to the movies if you don't like being in the movie theater with a lot of other people. It was completely empty. Yeah. Uh, we got like basically we had a private showing of this movie so we could talk to each other during it and be completely obnoxious and just shovel popcorn and uh, raisinets into our faces. Um,
1: was it did it help you? Was it like Joker? Did it help you understand, get some insight into Corella, so you could sort of understand why she wanted to kill puppies? Uh, no, it's like, I get it now. I get it why she has to do this
2: the opposite unfortunately this movie other than being i'm describing it as like a vogue spread come to life it is stunning to look at with all the clothes and emma stone and emma thompson are absolutely excellent in it um and just look phenomenal and all of that but the story actually makes no sense and in fact you're very confused as to how uh how you, how Cruella DeVille lands in 101 Dalmatians from here. Uh, <laughs>
1: so so it, does, it doesn't answer the one question <laughs> that you would actually yeah. have about Cruella. All right. So Irene, I I'm, I'm guessing you haven't been back to the movie theaters, but I don't know that. So uh, if so, what would it take to get you there?
0: Um, yeah, you're right. I haven't, I haven't been back, but I I've, I've been looking long thinking longingly about it lately. And I think I'm getting closer. You know, I, I, um, because you know, just the whole you know, the whole sort of ambiguity about if you're you know, yes, I'm vaccinated, but. You know, can I transmit the the virus? Can I not? You know, I'm I'm more worried about that side of it is like maybe picking something up and spreading it to somebody else um, than I am about getting it myself because it seems like if you're vaccinated, you're pretty, you're pretty protected. So I, I do think about that, even though I know that say Cine Studio has been up for a while and they're socially distanced and they clean everything and they make sure. So I'm thinking that next week I'm gonna go to to some of the um LGBTQ film festival movies at Cine Studio. So that's going to – Studio is going to get me back.
1: Yeah, I sort of feel like when I go back, it'll probably be because of a movie that I feel can't <laughs> realize its its potential. You know, and, I mean, there's certain movies where if, if you don't see them on a big screen, you, there's no way you will even understand why they got made. You know, and, and you may struggle with that even when you do – like Melancholia would be an example of that. Like if you don't see it on a big screen <laughs> – like you be thinking, what is this movie? Why did anyone bother to make this movie? So I get, I get that. I can't wait for that, but uh, it, it does. It's going to be a struggle for me. It's going to be a while. Uh, I'll be the last of the three of us. But there are some extenuating circumstances. Well, I mean, other than that, uh, I do want to say that I'm really intrigued by this new. Let, let's tell the villain story. It's not that new. I mean, you know, Wicked ultimately is how the Wicked Witch of the West. It's sort of you know how she got to be that and what her point of view is, stuff like that. But um, I was just sort of kicking that idea around on Twitter today, and. Tucker Ives and I came up with the idea that they need to do a story. They need to do a whole movie. I think just about one of the burglars in Home Alone. Home Alone. I think it should be the Daniel Stern guy, like how he got to be who he is. You know, I really want to know. I want to dig deep into his background. Uh, find out more about him. Um, Alright, so we have to shift gears one more time and talk about a birthday party that went horribly, horribly wrong. Um, Irene, I'm going to have you set this one up a little bit or kind of get us going on it. I guess what I would say is this is a Huntington Beach, California story it starts with a guy kind of harmlessly posting on social media yeah there's kind of an open invitation to his birthday party he has a friend who puts it on some more uh, places and it snowballs it cascades it turns into an avalanche on social media people are flying in people they don't know from Adam are flying in from other locations it starts to be in the thousands of people uh, who are going to this thing uh, a lot of things go wrong you could really make a very very funny movie I think. Uh, as long as you don't mind, you know, it's like people getting shot with non-lethal stuff by the police. Um, uh, but Irene, you were the one I think who, who guided us to this. So tell us what was resonating with you.
0: Yeah, I, I just thought it was it, it, it was just interesting to think about somebody wanted to have a birthday party. A, a you know, a seventeen-year-old wants to have his own birthday party, or somebody wants his friend wants to have it at the beach, and they send it out. And I love how he said, "Yeah, I looked at the I looked at the post." And there were 40 likes, so I didn't even think anything of it, was the quote from him. I'm like 40 likes. That sounds like a lot. If I had 40 likes to my party, I'd say, wow, that's pretty good. But he didn't think anything of it. He thought that was gonna, you know, be what it was. And then, you know, I think there's the, the reason I think it's interesting that so many, you know, so then it got onto TikTok and it just spread everywhere, you know. And I, I'm interested in the phenomenon of like where what happens to individuality, you know, what happens to I'm just having a private party with for 40 of my friends, um, the minute somebody else, other, you know, the masses find out about it, they want to participate also, you know. So, I mean, part of it, yes, is kind of like getting out of COVID and, and just the thought of a party is so exciting that everyone wants to go. Thousands of people want to go to the extent that they're going to fly in, you know, and it becomes a phenomenon. But it's, it, it just, you know, the can't someone just have their own birthday party and be an, you know, for themselves and their friends. You know, once it seems like everyone, and I see this is the generational thing that I'm, that I think about a lot is that, you know, if everything you do has to be sort of photographed and spread out so everyone can see it, um, then everything that you do, everyone else wants to do, or you see somebody else doing something, you want to do it too. Uh, It just, it just makes me worry and sort of wring my hands about the idea of individual experience you know having individual experiences at all it's it's only just like everybody's doing it so we have to do it and that's what just makes me nervous you know and i think it's an interesting this is kind of an example of that i mean it and it's interesting that it went out of hand you know they a lot of people got arrested and there was you know it, it it's it did turn very extreme but but anyway that's where i where i'd start
2: so yeah. i'm yeah, yeah. jealous of this kid because. <laughs> Notoriously sucky birthdays. My birthday is like right around Thanksgiving. So it kind of gets like pushed aside by that. And I I think the finest example of why I would be jealous of this kid getting this like epic birthday party, even though it was kind of like a fire festival level disaster. Uh, I my 30th birthday, uh, my brother and some friends tried to throw me a surprise party at the spigot, mind you. (laughs) Like already, that's sad. Like, just awful and sad. And then what was even sadder is, is that three people showed up. So when I walked in, there were literally three people there just being like, uh, n- surprise. Oh. Yeah, I oh. at that moment, I, I just wanted to go crawl in a hole and just spend the rest of my life there. Cause I was like, wow, 30 years on earth. And this is me at the spigot with three people. And uh, not that
1: there's anything really wrong with the spigot it's, I mean, it's not a glamorous locale.
2: I just I felt like it was a little bit of a miss uh, of planning. <laughs> I, I mean, I love a a dank dark dive bar like that's terrific, um, but this was just kind of somehow a very anticlimactic and a, 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 you know th- the ultimate disaster of a birthday party. And um, so, did
1: you also have trouble getting a complimentary toothpaste uh, at that party? Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a I hacks to- joke. Yeah, we're begging the spigot for some complimentary peanuts. Uh, I don't know. So I thought that this this kid's birthday party just blowing way out of control. It's it's kind of, but it's also sort of a product of the time. It's sort of like me who hates going to the movies, rushing to go back to a movie theater to see a mediocre movie just to get to sit there and do it. It's the same thing. Like this happened because we all have all these pent up needs to return to normalcy and you sort of fantasize that you want it to be in this like grand way, you know, like I binged on like $40 of movie theater snacks last night.
1: the ones the ones that cl- cross the blood brain barrier in particular so that would I, really damage you for life i just want to quickly say before we run out of time that i you know i could sort of identify a little bit with this cuz like in high school once or twice i was involved in throwing parties that really got out of control you know where like a lot of people a lot more people showed up than and you know on one of them the police the police were among the people who showed up um and it was like my friends and their parents were away and it was like you know it was a, like you see in the movies or something but i think what's different now is the scale right I mean, it just scales up so fast, and and there's a way in which I was really kind of connecting this story a little bit to the way in which uh, the character of Ava in in Hacks is suddenly punished for something on the internet. You know, there's a there's this is a dragon that no one knows how to ride. You know, you can ride it a little bit, you know, but you can't really steer it. There aren't really reins or halters or anything like that. It goes where it's going to go, and it picks up steam and it turns into a bigger, hotter, more fire-breathing dragon uh, all the time. So this, at a certain point. Point, even though it's kind of a funny story it clearly got kind of scary in certain ways and all it was was a birthday party but the internet and TikTok and, and social media can make something as simple as a high school birthday party into this monstrous as Carolyn says, fire festival kind of disaster uh, and it, there's something a little bit alarming about that um, Alright, well we have to take a break so our panelists will have time to make some recommendations All right. We're back. Uh, This is The Nose. Carolyn Payne and Irene Papoulis are with us. But now it's time to say thank you to some people who made The Nose possible, notably technical producer Kat Pastor, and then Jonathan McPants, who is the producer of all Nose episodes. So uh, now it's time to make some recommendations. Uh, Irene, why don't you get us started? Okay.
0: Um, I have two. The first is I I, I started watching Halston on Netflix with you and mcgregor playing halston and just absolutely love it it's great and i i highly recommend it there's a nice
1: bridge uh, from there there to cruella too you know
0: they i'm sorry there, you there's say? a sort
1: of a fashion bridge that goes from there it's
0: if it's a vogue spread yeah if, if cruella is a vogue magazine spread halston is also and to some extent but there's a, there's a lot going on in it too um that's really interesting sing you know including music and liza minnelli and everything um it's it's really fun but um and the other one is is a little bit more or a lot more it's kind of esoteric but it's a it's a podcast that i've been listening to for um anyone who you know i remember that so heidegger the book being in time you know i remember having the book maybe reading it a little bit not really understanding it very well um when I was in college and graduate school. And so I found this podcast where this guy, his name is Simon Critchley, and he goes through the, the, the book, Heidegger's Being and Time, just kind of telling us what it's about in a very interesting, um, with, a, with, a, with a touch of a sense of humor kind of way, but also very serious. You know, there's like 20 episodes. I'm just maybe four episodes in. It's called Apply-Degger, Dagger degger And if you if you have any interest in listening to a philosopher talk about make something very accessible and and sort of make it kind of about the world, you know, our world, not, you know, and it's less it makes it less esoteric. It's a really interesting thing to listen to if you're in the mood, if you're the kind of person that likes a phrase like the worldhood of the world and it makes you think about that and, you know, and you're interested, check it out. Apply to Ger.
1: All right. So um, (laughs) so Irene is giving you a choice of Halston. Heidegger, uh, there's, that's a pretty good spread right there. Uh, all right, uh, Carolyn, how about you?
2: All right, so if you are not like me and are not ready to return to the movies, though, I, I mean, pro tip: I went to a ten thirty showing, and like I said, it was a you know private movie theater. So if you're apprehensive about crowds, still, you can probably get a situation like that. Uh, But if you're more into staying home still and watching things, I recently uh, discovered on Netflix uh, a show called We Are the Champions. And it's a six-episode. Each one is a standalone documentary about um, some sort of competition, uh, including, like, dog dancing, which is exactly what it sounds. It's humans competing, dancing with their dog as their partner. (laughs) Um, Chili eating, like hot chili pepper eating um yo-yoing uh cheese rolling in England i mean it is just fascinating and uh one of the things i love about documentaries are just the characters and the characters of these people who are in these documentaries who are into these things and are champion dog dancers and uh champion frog jumpers and all this they are so fascinating i mean it is like a christopher guest movie just waiting to happen um and it's the the it's these little worlds that you didn't even know existed um so i highly recommend it and each episode's only like 20 minutes so it really holds your like add focus could you give the title again it's called we are the champions
0: uh, i think i'm going
1: to recommend the documentary joan uh, rivers a piece of work um i was trying to figure out where it's streaming today but i wasn't really i think you can see it on youtube i don't know where else uh, it's um, There are some really interesting uh, ways in which she does compare to this Gene Smart character. Particularly, there's a, seri- a scene in Hacks where Ava um, is asked to organize all this material that Gene Smart has. Joan Rivers do- does have this kind of terrifying-looking filing cabinet room full of jokes. Or she did have this filing cabinet room full of jokes. And in, in the movie, she walks in and she p- just plucks... One, you know, I'm sure it was all set up, but she plucks one three by five card out of one of the, you know, many, many drawers of thousands of thousands of jokes. And she looks at it. She goes, cooking, because they're all organized by subject. And she goes, cooking. And then she reads the joke. It's why cook? So your husband can tell some hooker, my wife makes great bread, uh, <laughs> which is in fact a great Joan Rivers joke. So um, uh, I will do a Papoulian through line from that to say the other thing that I will recommend is that things are coming up in Connecticut right now. So the asparagus is already up. Make some aspar- Get some asparagus from your local farmer. It's a perennial. Rhubarb is up. Get some rhubarb if you're the kind of person who can cook with that. Uh, I've been able to get spinach and strawberries and stuff like that, and it's time in Connecticut to uh, to really begin enjoying some of the bounty that comes up out of our frozen ground at this time of year. So farmer's markets are getting going. Farm stands are opening up. Buy some of that terrific produce and do some cooking. Uh, and the last thing that I'll say about that, too, is I've discovered sheet pan cooking, you know, where you make a lot of things just on a rimmed baking sheet. Um, I mean, a lot of entrees and stuff like that. It, and it's it's really, really fun. Hey, one thing I wanted to say, because we got a minute or two left, just we were talking about that kid and his birthday party. One thing that Jonathan McPants just pointed out, which I kind of forgot to observe, is at the end of that article, did you notice that... These, there were two kids involved, one whose birthday party it was, and then the other one who's a little bit more of an entrepreneur who kind of got the mania going. And the the latter kid, the entrepreneur, said, oh, we're going to do more of these. We're going to do one in Texas. We're going to start, you know, we're going to become influencers. And the kid whose birthday party it was said through his manager, he has a manager now, it's the <laughs> last thing he wants to do. He doesn't want to have anything more to do with this. But then somebody, maybe it's the manager, said, but he's kind of on his way to becoming an influencer, And you know, Irene, you get a sense of a devil's bargain there. There's like, oh my God, will 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 they be able to stay away from that? I mean, the thing was a disaster by most accounts, and yet they're still thinking of doing another one.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the quote that I noticed from that article too was, "If you don't go, you're missing out on history." You know, Mm -hmm. and so if you don't maybe if you don't capitalize on the fact that now you're famous, um, you're missing out on history, or you're missing out on something.
2: That was the yeah. Go ahead, Carolyn. Yeah, fire festival. Uh, cause that's what in, you know, fire festival, everyone was like, oh, if you don't go, you're missing out on history. And that was the quote that connected that for me. Uh, and I, I yeah, the, I, I don't know. I guess this just makes me, this proves I'm a geriatric millennial now is ID <laughs> and Gen Z. So now I get it when people, all these years of people making fun of millennials. Now I'm like, what are these Gen Z kids doing? And now I just feel like I need to get a rocking chair and, you know, where it depends. Cause it's over.
1: Right. Well, (laughs) actually, Irene and I have been able to find little glimmers of joy here and there uh, in our senescence. uh, So let me reassure you about that. I just think it's sort of interesting about about this generation and about social media driven stuff that the reaction was, wow, that was really horrible. That was awful. Let's do another one. You know, there's like sort of no real sense of learning from (laughs) it.
0: But anything that you can get thousands of people to go to, it it is pretty exciting.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. We got thousands of people to go to Vietnam. That wasn't so great. So, (laughs)
0: um, okay.
1: So, but, you know, you're going to miss out on history if you don't go to the, you know, the Vietnam War. All right. Well, we'll take uh, uh, that as our final word. But thanks very much to Irene and to Carolyn. uh, And we will be back next week with, oh, actually, I'm going to be off next week. I still can't really kind of process that idea. But I am going to be off next week. But we'll still have some great shows for you.
0: Talk about Torrington,
1: Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, yeah. Oliveberry,
2: Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.